fault. I, I, I told him the truth. I said that I loved him and I kissed him and this is what's happened. Michael's chasing Kimmy. Yes. You're chasing Michael. Yes. Who's chasing you? Nobody. Get it? There's your answer, Kimmy. No! Yes! Jules, you are not the one! I run for the bus, dear. While riding, I think of us, dear. I'll say a little bread for you. At work, I just take time. And all through my coffee break time. I say a little bread for you. Are you excited to see Batman? Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I think this might be my favorite Batman, like, since Keaton. Really? Yeah. Because I, I get Christian Bale. I I love Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I never thought Christian Bale was, like, amazing. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it was... It, when you first hear his voice, it's ridiculous. It's just that we've heard it so much now; it's kind of commonplace. We have. We have. Hey, you can adjust this to where it's under you, and you don't have to. I keep like doing, doing one of way. those things. Yeah, but then sometimes you you know you're talking like this, and you know you can't hear as well. And then but when I post, I had to take your little your volume thing, mm-hmm. and for each time you do that, I had to go and turn it up a little, and then turn it back down. It gets very annoying. You sound like my wife. <laughs> I don't know how I should take that. <laughs> I don't appreciate that at all. <laughs> Only because I know your wife. You you complain like my wife does. Ooh. About the same, Somebody same kind of stuff. That out. No, you can leave it in. It's fine. It's not like she listens anyways. <laughs> all right. Okay. What uh, when, when you hear the name Julia Roberts, what movie stands out the Pre- most? Pretty Woman. Yeah. I was going to say Pretty Woman. I think that stands out the most. Uh, this one, Notting Hill, and you know maybe even closer stands well, out uh, as well. Hook too. I mean, Hook. Yeah, that's about. a big one. Um, the Mexican with Brad Pitt, still Magnolias. Yeah, still Magnolias. That's that's one that'll make that makes a lot of people cry. Mystic Pizza. Yeah, I remember Mystic Pizza. Um. And what else was there? Sleeping with the enemy. I remember sleeping with the enemy. Um, Who would you sleep with? The enemy. Oh. Conspiracy theory. That's that's one of my favorites. Yeah, that is. A that good I one. think that she is in. Uh, she does a really good performance, but the whole movie is great. I think and her relationship with Mel Gibson is great. Yeah, I mean, she even mentions him in this film. Does she? Yeah. When? Remember, he says uh, something. He asked something about Mel Gibson, and she said, "Mel Gibson does her own." Does his own something. I don't remember hearing that. Yeah. It was... I want to say it was like close to the beginning, maybe. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't this film that I'm even thinking about that she mentions Mel Gibson. Maybe, because Mel Gibson's conspiracy theory was literally the next movie that was released after My Best Friend's Wedding. So maybe that threw that in. Maybe she was filming him at the same time or relatively the same time Mm -hmm. or whatever, but... Um... Anyways, um, let's talk about My Best Friend's Wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the movie we're talking about today. This movie uh, came out in 1997. It was directed by P.J. Hogan, who also directed things like uh, Muriel's Wedding. And, um, oh, what's that? What's that? He directed one of the Peter Pan movies. 
Um, the one where they say, I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. I do believe in fairies. Remember that? No. I do not. Oh, I do not. I do not. <laughs> I do not. I do not. Uh, well, yeah, he, he, you know, he's, he's known for doing a few different things like, um, oh, what is it? The Confessions of a Shopaholic, I think, uh, Peter Pan, um, and the Muriel's Wedding, of course, with, uh, Tony Collette. Anyway, so, uh, um, came out in 19, 1997, also, uh, like I said, directed by PJ Hogan. And it was, uh, written by Ronald Bass. Do you know this writer, if he's written anything else? Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was the writer on Rain Man, Entrapment, What Dreams May Come. Wow. Um, let's see. Like the head writer? Like the writer writer. Wow. So, uh, yeah, he wrote a couple Julia Roberts ones, too. Um, he's written the screenplay for Grain, uh, Rain Man, Gardens of Stone, um, uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, When a Man Loves a Woman, Dangerous Minds, Waiting to Exhale, uh, my best friend's wedding. Uh, how Stella got her groove back. What dreams may come. Hey, I, I never found out how did Stella get her groove back. <laughs> I, I have no idea how she got her groove back. Okay. Uh, Stepmom, another Julia Roberts movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what that movie's about. Entrapment. Snow falling on cedars. Uh, let's see what else. Before we go. And she's doing a My Best Friend's Wedding TV follow-up series. I guess there's a TV series that's coming up for this. Maybe this is how it popped up into her mind. Maybe one of us saw this. Maybe. I'm not even sure. There's there's not really much about it. Because, I mean, why would all of a sudden we go to do a podcast over My Best Friend's Wedding and then all of a sudden... They're coming out with a TV show. Yeah, you know, good. so maybe one of us just mentioned, you know, saw that, and yeah, that's 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 kind of a a a, a mess up on our part that I didn't even I, I've done research, but I didn't I don't remember seeing anything like that. So um, if you want to, we can look it up and give more information about it next episode. Mm-hmm. But um, so just going over, let's see if we can go over this movie. But yeah, that that writer, he's he's done quite a few mm-hmm. pretty prolific and amazing uh movies in Hollywood and it shows because this is a very well-written movie, very well-paced and everything and you can tell that just expert hands were on this the whole way mm-hmm. whether it was written, directed and all the stars in it were perfectly casted. You know, it's uh funny too because you know, a lot of you know, <clears throat> Julia Roberts had a lot to say on who was casting this film. You know, in, in fact, it was because of her that uh, Cameron Diaz, Cameron Diaz, and um, her best her, Rupert, yeah, Mr. Rupert Everett, yeah, uh, th- those two actors were even in this film. You know, yeah, because I think Drew Barrymore was up for the title of the role of Kim before Julia Roberts mm-hmm. had mentioned Cameron Diaz, and I don't know who uh, Julia Roberts or where Julia Roberts worked with Cameron Diaz to to suggest that um but maybe it was a work on the mask uh what i had read that it was it was uh dermot maroney that she had handpicked not not the rupert everett guy the uh you know i had read that julia roberts had handpicked uh dermot maroney and and cameron diaz in this movie so maybe it was quite a quite a bit i think she had a uh quite a bit of pull after this because she was getting pretty big in hollywood Yeah, yeah it was dermot and Cameron Diaz. Yeah. 
Um, and then in the movie, Rupert Everett's character instead of George was supposed to be called Digger. I think George was better. But uh, this movie stars Julia Roberts as Julianne yeah, Moore, uh, Dermot Moroney as Michael O'Neill, Cameron Diaz as Kimberly Wallace, Rupert Everett as George Downs. Uh, this movie also stars Philip Bosco, M. Emmett Walsh, Rachel Griffiths, Carrie Preston of True Blood fame, uh, Susan Sullivan, Christopher Masterson, and a whole bunch of others, including a couple cameos that I'll uh, I'll mention here in a little bit. Um, And when I say cameos, I just mean actors that have smaller parts that became bigger later Mm -hmm. that I recognize in this movie. Like, hey, that's that person. I know that person. Um, All right, so do you remember watching this when it first came out? Yeah, yeah. Do you? Mm-hmm. I don't remember watching it when it first came out. I just, I remember just being aware of it and then watching it when I was younger. And because we watched so much movies when you we were younger, you know, we didn't really say, "Oh no, rom coms, no this or that." We just watched a bunch of movies when we were younger. I think eventually we learned about rom coms. No, I I love rom coms from an early age. I know, and and so do I. But that, that, what I'm saying is that. Uh, I don't think it's ever something like like we were ever like oh let's watch a rom com or whatever. It's just we watched so many movies when we were younger that we were exposed to all these different genres, and then we got a sense of yes, there are these certain types of movies that we learned later were classified mm-hmm. as rom coms or whatever that we liked because you know we do like happy endings, you and I. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but we 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 like you know endings where where you know the you know it's just uh, the boy gets the, the girl exactly boy gets the girl. It's not depressing and in this movie it is one of those happy endings the boy does get the girl because he gets the right girl yeah because obviously julia roberts is a villain and this whole yep. movie is so unique because <clears throat> you had to have a, a, an actress to play this character where the main the main character of the story um she basically is the the what you would consider the threat or the villain in uh another movie that's trying to steal away the uh the the groom or whatever mm-hmm. right and but it's showing it from the villain's perspective to show you that hey maybe it's not just evil stuff but you know we all have a level of selfishness in ourselves and, and everything pettiness. exactly and so this is just kind of like okay well let's show her and not have it just be like this evil trope you know a lot of that's been done nowadays mm-hmm. where it's like well we see that a lot of people that we thought were cruella were bad guys were actually just anti heroes or anti heroines or whatever yeah cruella it kind of gives you a sense of her and all that kind of stuff but um that that's what I liked about this movie is that it was it was honest in its portrayal of the bad guy. But you have to have somebody that's likable so you can kind of root for them, even though you know you're not supposed to be rooting for them, because then it puts you in her shoes. You know, she's doing things even though she's not supposed to be doing. She knows she's not supposed to be doing things, but she believes in the end it'll all be okay because she knows what's right. This is definitely out of her wheelhouse, in my opinion. But that's the thing is that they needed somebody likable enough to be this type of villain person and still be likable. And I think Julia Roberts was absolutely a perfect fit for that. I mean, somebody like from that came from Pretty Woman who could sell that, you know, the, uh, the, the, the that whole storyline and, and just be so likable. Well, I kind of disagree. You disagreed. I, that, I, I that was the that was the directors I, and writers' own yeah. words. So that's yeah, I, I mean that's what they they wanted somebody that was so likable that you could follow this villain through the movie, 
still like her and then you know to get you through the rough spot or whatever and then by the end you realize okay well this person's made a change and a more realistic change than the villain movie or whatever it still doesn't change the fact that i think that in my opinion it's out of her her wheelhouse this was not the great i don't think this is a good uh, act actress to play this role wow yeah okay so explain that well I think she's just too far to the nice side of things that she can't play. A vin- you know, I just can't see her as an invid- invic- vindictive role, in my opinion. So you didn't you didn't buy all the awful things that she did during the movie? No, I mean I know what she did. It doesn't mean that she did it as an actress well. I don't think she played this this role well, and she can't pull this off. I don't think, in my opinion. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to go over some of the awards that were on this. Um, a lot of them were from Cameron Diaz, and I think Cameron Diaz, just, she did an amazing job in this movie. Oh, she played it really well. I mean, because the whole movie, you're waiting for her to just kind of be really evil, yeah. and you don't ever see her that way. Like, like you, you think, okay, because of her lifestyle and, and, you know, her being a socialite and whatnot, you know, that she's going to be kind of like, she's just being fake in front of him. And then she's going to go behind his back and then just be really vindictive and nasty. Then you come to find out that Julia Roberts character is the one that's doing that. And like the bad Cameron Diaz doesn't really come out, you know, like, like it's, it does for a well, split second no. when, you know, okay, well, that was her reacting normally. Right. You know, you'd just be pissed off yeah. or whatever, but, but you didn't ever see her do any like, like I expected her to be kind of background, you know, like uh, behind the scenes type evil person. It, it you, you expected Kimmy to be that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was funny because, like, seriously, she went out of her way to be super nice to Julia Roberts' character, and there's no fakeness to her. You know, yeah, she's genuinely a good person. Yeah, know? and even Julia said, or Julianne, we'll just call her Jules yeah, because yeah. that's her name in real life, and. Yep. So she said that Kimmy, uh, she even told George, she's like... She's annoyingly perfect. Is that there's nothing annoying about her perfection. It is, it is vulnerable and endearing. And that is annoying as shit. Oh, you like her. I didn't have to hate her. I'd adore her. If, if I didn't hate her, I would adore her. Yeah. So Kim character is supposed to be somebody that everybody likes. She's yeah. just a sweet person, and even Julie Roberts said, "Like, look, the I only hate her because she's being mar- she's marrying, you know, the love of my life, basically." Yeah. And uh, she's like, "If it wasn't for that, I'd love her just as much as everybody else." Yeah, and that really pisses her off too because Jules likes to be kind of like on the outside and and really against everything, you know, not be like mm-hmm. the typical girl or whatever, which is kind of seems what Michael's looking for. Yeah. Like he had this thing with her, him and Julia, like they, they had this thing and it was like a real quick romance and they were just friends for a while. And uh, she likes him because, you know, they're perfect for each other. You know, she even talks about it like we're both self self-absorbed yeah. and everything, you know, we're perfect for each other. And it seems like that way. And he's always been like, you know, that kind of down to earth. Uh, let's have some chili dogs and fries instead of going to a nice fancy restaurant or whatever. But he seems to, to want that girly girl, typical girl. Yeah. You know, or else he would have, you know, waited for Jules. Yeah. I guess. Well, it's so funny that she's, you know, 
this guy is apparently the love of her life, and she hasn't talked to him in like nine years or something. Well, they were friends for nine years, but I think they, whenever he called, he's like, "What's it been months?" Yeah. So I think they talk every every so often, and they probably well, run into each other and see each other every so often. But yeah, they haven't really hung out and obviously dated and for nine years. Yes, yeah, definitely that situation of you know what you can't have is what you want the most. Yeah, you know what I mean, or, or you know that kind of thing where it's like. She always knew he wasn't married, he wasn't married, he wasn't married, he didn't plan on getting married, and then all of a sudden, you know, he calls and says, hey, I'm getting married, and she's like, oh, okay, well, you're supposed to be able to be there for whenever I need you, whatever I need you for, you know, and then now it's not, so now I want that, <laughs> you know and, what I mean? Like, yeah, and you know you you know they care about each other. Yeah. Um. So who do you think broke it off in the beginning? Because she's... Obviously her. Because, yeah, because she said that we had this whirlwind thing, but... It was just too much, and that then they wouldn't be friends anymore when they broke it off and all that. So they decided, or they wouldn't be together anymore. So they decided to be just be friends, so they could still be in each other's lives. Obviously, she's the commitment foe. But do you think that if she ever was like ready to to be with him, he would say yes? Well, th- I think that's what she thought. You know, that's what she was. I think they were right and not I think that they would have crashed and burned hardcore yeah. if they had ever gotten married um, because he has his thing and she has her thing and that's like one of the biggest part of the movies was uh, was Cameron Diaz's character Kimmy giving up her entire college career her what she wanted to do for a living and all that to go on the road with Michael mm-hmm. and to give all that up and she offered him a job at her dad's firm just so that you know they could be together more often and she could still stay in chicago and do what she needs to do Mm -hmm. for school instead of traveling all the time and uh you know it it didn't it but he enjoyed even though he wasn't paid much for what he did and it wasn't stable and all that kind of stuff and you might only get you know one out of four articles in the newspaper the magazine whatever he wrote for um it's still you know how do i explain this um, he still loves the job, no matter what it does, no matter what it doesn't do financially. He loves the job. It's it's a you know it's like if we were just doing podcasting. I love to do this. This is my only thing I want to do, and it it doesn't pay. You know, if we started advertising, we could make money or whatever. But you know, it doesn't pay very well, and but we love doing it. That would be like us quitting. You know, wanting to do this for our passion and go do some other job that we don't want to do. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, um, so this is a movie from the perspective of the villain in, in a typical rom-com, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that this is a common opinion. Uh, Cameron Diaz would be the lead in a normal rom-com, yeah. watching this other girl who was a friend of her <clears throat> fiance's come in and try to ruin it. Mm-hmm. But in a normal rom-com, she would be given, she would be encouraged by some like crazy friend or something yeah. to give it back just as good as she's getting, yeah. right? Yeah to have like a little tete-a-tete uh, you know fighting over this guy before the wedding or whatever you know maybe that would be but she's completely like trust well she's she's trusting in that michael truster but like it she says at the end you know you didn't want to let me out of your sight that type of thing like so yeah. you could tell she doesn't trust him or yeah. she doesn't trust jules or yeah. whatever um so she's you know having to deal with the dreaded best friend and, and probable ex-love who methodically tries to tear things apart and stuff. So right, right. Um, if it focused on Cameron Diaz and Michael, yes, then it's a rom-com. But this just isn't a rom-com. 
I, I mean, she didn't. She didn't come different. out there saying, <clears throat> "I got to break this up." Did she? She who my best friend, yeah. uh, Jules. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <clears throat> immediately she was remember because she was smoking while George was driving her to the airport. Okay, and they were in the little airport That's lanes, right. and she's like, "I have four days to break up this wedding, and I have no idea how to do it." And okay. he's like, all the while telling her she's crazy because obviously George is supposed to be her conscience in this movie. Yeah. He's yeah. he's the Jiminy Cricket, right? Right, right, right. As you like to say. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> So, anyways, um, did you have anything like behind the scenes type stuff that you um, wanted to talk about? Hmm. We talked about Drew Barrymore being in this. Um, most of the songs that are in this movie, this movie is big on music, uh, and most of them comes from Dionne Warwick. She originally did most of these, which yeah. is who they talk about in the uh, mm-hmm. the little lobster restaurant scene. Uh, except for the helium song. Do you remember the song the kids, the, those teenagers were singing with the helium yeah. and everything? That was a John Denver song. And actually, he died only a couple months after this movie was released. Oh, wow. And they used his, you know, he died in that plane crash yeah. and everything. So, um, let's see, some links here. Uh, oh, Cameron Diaz and uh, Rupert Everett. They also started Shrek. again in Shrek as uh, Fiona and Charming. Obviously, she gets called Jules a lot in this movie, which is Julia Roberts' real life nickname. And, oh, okay. So, one thing is Sarah Jessica Parker was offered the role for Julianne, but she was busy and committed to Sex in the City, so she couldn't get off of that. So, Which is probably hard because... Julia Roberts did some good stuff before. This is like Pretty Women or Pretty Woman. Right, right, right. But uh, nothing really launched her. Like Pretty Woman launched her kind of, but she needed something to follow that up with, right? She needed something yeah. to, to keep in. She had done you know a couple things here and there, but then My Best Friend's Wedding is really, I think, what cemented her as you know, a leading actress or a leading actress in a rom-com or whatever. Right. <clears throat> um, the original ending... Uh, Julianne was supposed to meet somebody, uh, another guy, and this guy was played by John Corbett. And he was the guy in um, in Serendipity with John Cusack and Kate mm-hmm. Beckinsale, the, the one that was did the weird music that Kate Beckinsale was going to award. Thing, yeah. And he was in Northern Exposure as well yeah. on the radio. And I loved but, him in Northern Exposure. Yeah. For sure. So... So he was, but she met him, and that that was actually all filmed and everything. Yeah. And then the test audiences, when they watched it, they didn't like that. They didn't like the ending. They wanted to see more George because he so was did like, I, he was like the highlight of the movie. So right? did I. Like yeah. He, he, I don't know if I'd like this movie as much as I do if it wasn't for George, and yeah. he's not in it a lot. Well, you know, and and he's the ste- uh, the the scene stealer of the film. You know, I mean, it's it's like. Really, he was the funniest part of the film. He was the 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 classiest part of this film. He's our starting point for our five degrees. Yeah, okay. On this one, because uh, he he's the standout role, so yeah. it's going to be tough. So, uh, anyways, but yeah, I just I I thought that I, I was I don't know, test audience and on that whole thing that I don't like that when they do test audience and then they change it before they actually yeah. release it. Because then you're, you know, and I know that all Hollywood is supposed to be a commercialized product that's packaged and released in a certain way, but it does take away from the, you know, the the, the filmmaker or whatever, the way that they wanted the, the movie to go, you know, so I don't know how you feel about that, test audiences and stuff like that. 
<clears throat> about the same as I feel about critics. So critics, yeah, you just yeah. don't care for. No. Yeah, so it would have been interested to see that, uh, to see John Corbett try to sweep her up on his uh, on her feet and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I like the whole dashing George at the end, calling her, and you know, you you realize throughout the phone call that he's actually there yeah. and all that. So, um, all right, well, let's get into this a little bit. Uh, we start out with a, uh, a food critic who three weeks before her birthday. Uh, gets a call from her lifelong friend, Michael. Um, and uh, Jules tells her friend, George, that uh, a while ago they made a pact, like a blood, like a literal blood pact. He like cut up, cut them both open and made a blood pact that if by the time that they're 28, I don't know why 28, I'm guessing that's, I mean, that's usually when like doctors get out of school, but I suppose they've been doing their job for a while. So I don't know why 28, if that's just, happens to be just about 10 years after they met um but that if they were both unmarried they would get married and she realized the story to uh her editor george after getting that voicemail that 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 michael wants to talk to her and she doesn't know why but then george makes her realize well you're 28 and so is he so maybe it's the call and she's like yeah oh crap Maybe it is the call. So you yeah. you get the sense that like as much as she likes this guy and seems to like this guy, she's a huge committophobe yeah. and uh, doesn't want to be a traditional settle down with a husband, kid, you know, have kids, and you know, because then she'd probably she feels like she would have to give up her career, just like Kimmy kind of had to do in, in this movie and everything. So, um, anyways, she gets. Uh, uh, she 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 gets back to the hotel room. She calls him, and you know during this phone call, she realizes that he's the love of her life. And you know it's the typical thing. You just put somebody on the back burner. He's always been in her back pocket. He's always been on her back burner until he's ready to get married. And now she wants to do something about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then she goes out and she meets um, she meets Michael and she meets Kim at the airport and they're off and Kim's already this ecstatic person, but she drives like a lunatic, which is a hilarious yeah. scene and everything. Yeah. So and uh, and Jules decides she's going to break up the wedding. She's she's like, I'm going to try to break up this wedding, steal Michael and get him to marry him. Now, if she had been successful in all this, do you think that they would have been happy together? No. <clears throat> Jules and Michael. Why not? Well, because it was kind of like a... They're the same, right? Yeah, and the last-ditch effort type situation. You know, it's like, you know, they they have already proven that they're not successful in relationships, so why would or they... Or a relationship get, with each other. Yeah, why would they get in a relationship with each other? That just would be like walking backwards. Yeah, I think it's... it's I mean, it, it shows that... that uh, I can't remember the comment. Uh, I thought I'd had it written down in here somewhere, but she basically makes the comment that we're both self-absorbed, uh, but still slightly likable and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think that they're they're so self-absorbed with what they want to do. You know, she has her career and her you know her her food critique business and all or, or a business. Correct. You know, she's a food critic. She has her own career and all that. She doesn't really want to settle down. Mm-hmm. Right, she's still doing her thing. He's well, doing look at both of their professions too. You know, they're both writers. They're both, you know, constantly travel. They're not like an office job. Yeah. 
you know, they're both critiquing stuff, whether it's him critiquing, you know, the baseball players or her critiqu- critiquing the food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're both they're both very uh, judgmental yeah. <laughs> because they're critics mm-hmm. and um, they only have times for themselves. He only has time for his career. He doesn't think about once you marry, you have to join together. And it's not only your career anymore. Now it's your career together. Yeah. You're trying to make a life together. Mm-hmm. You have to make decisions that don't only just affect you, but affect both of you. Right. And that's why they could never be married because they're so, so both of them are so self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. They both think that their thing is more important than the others. I just don't think it would ever work out that yeah. way. Whereas Kim is completely willing to sacrifice everything that she has to be in this relationship with Michael because she truly loves him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so there's a lot of different things that happen when she gets into town. Uh, what is the first thing that they do? Do you remember? Uh, they, they go, don't they go and meet everybody at that building? I think she yeah. meets, she meets their family real quick. Yeah. And, you know, it's the usual cast of characters, but then you have those sisters that, who she said are the only females like under 40. That are her bridesmaids, and one of those is the waitress in True Blood. Do you remember what her name was? Arlene, I think, was her name. Yeah, and she had the red hair, and Uh she she was married to spoiler alert the murderer in the first season. Yeah, um, well, she eventually got married to him and stuff, and yeah, he was uh, he was a uh, Cajun dude. Yeah, the well, and he really wasn't. He you find out later that he had had some Cajun. Uh, dialect. vocabulary dialect yeah. and stuff on tapes that he was learning and he really just had a normal voice and that dude was also the son of Bel- Belfour or Baleflower or what, uh, what's his name the son of Rumpelstiltskin on Once Upon a Time yeah. I can't remember his name yeah Belfour Same. something like that I can't remember no it's Bale because he called him Bay like yeah. bacon and eggs or Bay <laughs> That's what bay is. Bay, B-A-E, no, bacon and eggs. No, it's Yes, because it's you love bacon and eggs so bay. much, so you call your sweetheart a bay. Yeah. That's where bay came from. You just forget the bee. I don't know. Bacon and eggs. Because Britta, she's a bee. <laughs> Pierce. Pierce, 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 you're a bee. Pierce, 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 period of time run of just Julia Roberts being in rom-coms. A lot of people forget about it because her rom-coms were back then weren't really considered. They were just comedies, not so much, you know, rom-coms like romantic comedies. You know what I mean? It was there. There wasn't a distinction back then in a way I feel like, yeah. you know, like there is, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, and all throughout the nineties that, you know, there's a, there's a different type of genre that is just romantic comedy. You know, back then it was either a romance or a comedy, you know? Yeah. And so when I first watched it, I just was like, you know, I thought it was, it it was good. It was good. But then I watched it again. I'm like, man, I do not like Julia Roberts in a villain type role. It just doesn't. 
it doesn't do it for me. And, and, you know, I guess I, I, I've become real cynical when it comes to like romance, romance and movies now, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because it's, it's so fake, you know, to, to what reality really is. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's great and all, and it's good for, you know, especially these, these single, single people watching these type of films, you know, they're trying to get some sort of romance, but you got to realize, you know, even if you're not a kid anymore and you're an adult, you realize that it's things are not really like this. Well, you know? And it's in a sense, it's like, it's like a cynical way of looking at mo- uh, rom- romantic movies like this, you know? Yeah. And a rom-com is traditional rom-coms or whatever. It's about two people that are usually are complete opposites, right? Coming together and, and somehow making it work somehow it shouldn't work it 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 wouldn't look right if it worked but somehow it works and they make it work right and they figure out how to build a life together and you usually it's like well i can't do this because i got this and this person saying well i can't do this because i got this but then in the end one of them or both of them sacrifice that and say you know what you're more important to me and it's about that coming together and nowadays it's more about well this person should have their own career and this person should have their own career that you can love each other but then you guys can go off and do your own things it's very it seems to like depersonalize a relationship and that's how I think it feels like, you know, they are nowadays and how rom-coms aren't the same nowadays as they used to be or whatever. Yeah. And this kind of started to go that way. It was kind of, it was about two people who had their own deals and they weren't willing to give up what, you know, what their life was to be with the other. And they didn't really want to. You know, there's a line in there about, um, Kimmy said, you win. You know, she's like, I was thinking about this, this and that, but you win. She said, uh, he has you on a pedestal and me in his arms. Yeah. So he puts, I think it's shown that he puts, uh, Michael puts Julia or Jules on a pedestal and that's who he'd like to be with or that's who he thinks he'd like to be with because. But not her in particular. Well, that's who he's always wanted because she reminds him of him. Yeah. And, you know, you know, that's that self-absorbed uh, part that she was talking about. She remind Jules reminds Michael of himself. So he puts her on that pedestal, but he doesn't even realize. And, you know, you just see it at the end. He talks about how he how he asked him to marry him. You know, he's like, I jumped up on the plane uh, on the train and I just I couldn't help myself. You know, I yelled it out. Marry me. And she said, yes. You know, and all this kind yeah. of stuff like he couldn't help it. He's it's like he's finally discovering that yes he's always put jewels on a pedestal because that's what he thought he wanted but he realized what he actually wanted was someone like kim mm. who loved him more than she would love her own career which is what jewels would never do she loved him but never more than her own career yeah. because she was doing her own thing which is fine but it's not it's what he realized he wanted and never realized before if that makes any yeah. sense so like julia's plan She's trying to slowly convince him that she's got all that stuff that he likes about Kimmy. Yeah. You know, she she doesn't pull away when I try to hug her in public. And then Julie asked later, you know, did I? And he's like, yeah, you tried to pull away from me when I would hug you in public. She doesn't do that. And she's like, well, I've changed. You know, uh, I've got moves you've never seen. And all this. like, I'm yeah. that person now that you you always liked. I, but then she, she also, on the other hand, she's she's doing that in one hand, but is trying to expose in Kimmy how much that he shouldn't like. Like he, you know, I'm like I'm like Kim, but then also saying, 
you know, oh, Kim can't even sing in karaoke. It's something yeah. that you like to do, but she's so straight laced and proper and stuff. She doesn't like to embarrass herself or put herself out there. Whereas I'm Jules. All we've done this karaoke thing before. I'll embarrass myself. I'll put myself out there. I'll eat chili dogs and cheese fries with you. I'm Jello. She's, you know, what's the other one? Uh, uh, creme brulee. Creme brulee, yeah. yeah. So I'm Jello. She's creme brulee. I'm willing to get down and hang out with the guys because you're a sports writer. You're a guys guy and everything. And that's who I am. And she's a prim and proper person. So on the one scene, she's trying to tell him, I've changed and I'm like that and I'm sweet and I can be. And then on the other hand, when they're in the karaoke bar, he's trying to make, she's trying to also make the the the, the Kimmy personality and, and every the good things about Kim bad. So she she even tries to expose that by making her sing, and she can't sing karaoke, you know, um, you know because Kimmy had mentioned earlier, you know, all the things that annoy her about Michael. So you could tell that there are things that annoy her about Michael. There's probably things that annoy Michael about Kim, mm-hmm. but Kimmy's willing to look past all that because she loves Michael, yeah. and none of that matters because she loves Michael. And she mentions the uh, the, the karaoke thing again, but it's not about that. Because she can't sing karaoke, and instead of stopping her or walking out because, you know, uh, she's embarrassed, she continues to push through it knowing that Michael likes the karaoke thing because they talk about it, you know, and that he likes to do karaoke. So instead of being that person, I don't want to drag him down, she puts herself out there. She's embarrassed about it, but she puts herself out there, She she's uh, and, and he sees that and that he's she's willing to try stuff that he likes. And he's, he keeps being reminded throughout this movie. Like, he's with Julia, and he starts to kind of drift her way, and then he's quickly reminded about why he likes Kimmy. And then Julia does a few more things, and he kind of drifts that way, and then he's and then Kimmy does something, and he's quickly reminded of why he likes Kimmy. It's so weird because he seems so um, blind, you know, because, I mean... like Self-absorbed. He, he, yeah, yeah, I mean, and the fact that he knows, you know, Jules so well that to not notice what a drastic change she is as a person from last time she saw him to now where even if she hasn't quite made those changes and yeah. just, just saying that to get him to well right you know but i mean like he's used to her being self-absorbed like he is so you know he doesn't she doesn't even pop up on his radar anymore but now she is all of a sudden and you know she's acting weird you know it's kind of one of those things like you would feel like you would notice yeah pick up on especially anyway. with her scheming and stuff but the the thing I was looking for before, uh, Julia said, Kimmy's not annoying. She's vulnerable and endearing. Uh, and, said, oh, no, no. She said, Michael and I are perfect for each other. Uh, we're both self-absorbed and vague, vaguely lovable. <laughs> That's the line that she used. <laughs> vaguely. Yeah, so it, it, it's, it's basically a movie of these two people that actually don't know what they want, you know? He, he knows what he wants, but he's been stuck on Jules for so long. And even though they haven't talked much or whatever, um, I feel like him and her being away from each other so long allowed him to open himself up to Kimmy and allowed him to see somebody like that. And so he saw her and then inviting Jules back into the mix, it messes him up again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he finally got to a point where he was good to ask somebody else to marry him. Which is huge because they were obviously loving in love with each other for so long. Right. Um, but he finally is away from her for so long, and then she comes back and she starts ruining everything. <laughs> um, but nothing she does is uh, works because Kim truly is a sweet and likable person that only wants 
what's best for Michael and, and, and wants him to be happy with what he's doing. She's willing to, to do all these other things. Like one of the schemes that Julia's trying to, Jules is trying to do throughout the whole movie is to get him to quit his job and to join Kim's dad uh, because Kim's dad owns the White Sox. Yeah. And so she's trying to get him to join to, to join the PR department, right? Uh, because it's a really good paying job. He'd probably be instantly rich because of it. But he likes to write about the teams and the, and the games and everything. You know, he's yeah. a game writer, so he follows the teams everywhere. Uh-huh. Sometimes he has to go to Texas and these all these different places and stuff. So basically, there's no time for a honeymoon, and their honeymoon is her going to be following him around on the road, you right. know. And so she uses that to her advantage to guilt them uh, about that. You know, she basically she knows that Michael loves what he does, even though it doesn't make a lot of money, and that Kim comes from a very rich family. Mm-hmm. So she knows that that Michael loves his job and wants to stay with it. But she suggests to Kim maybe he he doesn't know what he wants, you know. Yeah. We got to kind of force him into this. That way he he will understand, oh, I can make a lot of money and all that, knowing that that would irk him. Yeah. Like, like how dare you? You, I'm, My job's not good enough for you. I'm not good enough right, for you. Right, right. So, you know, she's she's very smart in that she knows Michael so well that she can scheme Kim. And Kim can't say much because this is his best friend, and it would just be so, uh, I don't know, on the nose to start – complaining that she's just trying to win you back and all that kind of stuff so anyways so she she tries all these schemes not not a lot's working so she's frustrated and she asks george for help (laughs) (laughs) so um and he really doesn't want to help her he he, doesn't he he don't even be involved at all and that's what i'm saying she he's a very conscionable person and she's not so he becomes her conscious yeah. and be and, and, and basically is like, you know, he's <laughs> so, so George is Julia's constant and he punishes her for what she's doing for this because yeah. he's like, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, he can laugh about this and that, but when it comes down to it, he's like, look, you're going to ruin somebody's life. Yeah. You know, do what you need to do or whatever. Make your, make your stand out here, but don't be evil about it. Yeah. You know, if if you love him, tell him you love him. Don't play these games mm-hmm. and everything. Um, so, you know, she needs someone, you know, Jules needs someone to bounce someone off of. But but he's supposed to be her conscious. And her conscience admitted the truth to Michael in that song, I believe. That's what that song was about. He admitted the truth of Julia Roberts loving him. You know, oh, darling, believe me. Yeah. You know, there's no one but you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, you know, whatever, you know, forever and ever, you'll stay on my heart even if I'm with a, you know, I'm without you or whatever. So I think that in that song he's singing to her, but when he first gets there, you know, he's there to kind of just support her or whatever. And he tells her, just go tell him the truth and, you know, let whatever happens happens. And she goes to tell him the truth, but then she comes up with another scheme. Well, let me try jealousy. I haven't tried jealousy yet. There's no way to make Michael jealous unless she has a boyfriend. So she tells Michael that he's, (laughs) that he's in, in town and he's like, oh, she's in town for a few hours to um, um, basically have sex with me, is what yeah. she said. And uh, there's a pause, and like one of the best lines of the movie is when he's just like, takes a few hours, <laughs> you know, just because she's like, he's in for hours for a few or in town for a few hours yeah. and stuff. He's like, yeah, it takes a few hours, and it's just one of the great lines in the movie <laughs> or whatever. But, um, so anyways, they introduced her to the family, and Cameron, Cameron. 
Kimmy is so excited. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Why is she so excited? Remember whenever they yeah. go to the church and Michael goes, hey, she's getting married. This is George. You know, that over there, that's George. That's her going to be. And she goes, what? She starts screaming and running towards them. Oh, my God, George. And she's like, she can't contain herself. She keeps outbursting and everything. And she's so excited about George and finding out about George. Why do you think that is? Well, because then, my, yeah, Michael doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't have jewels anymore. To, you know, to, to obsess over. And her, her one main thought here was, what is Jules going to do? Knowing how Michael's talked about them, too, and probably knowing that they had some kind of a love or whatever, she was probably very worried that she was going to do exactly what she's doing and yeah. that's try to steal them away. Yeah. So I think that her being so excited is evidence that she's worried about what Jules' motives are. And... She's so ecstatic to find out that Jules is getting married and therefore has no desires for Michael. Mm-hmm. And she just loses it because she's overwhelmed with relief. She's like, right. ah, ah, you know, she just freaks out. You know, I have to put that scene yeah. in there and everything yeah. like that. But like, I think George even does something. She screams and everything. <laughs> they just get so excited. Um, and then, of course, we come to the most iconic scene, which is like, she's like, you got to come have lunch with us. And so they go to this lobster shack or whatever. And then that song plays. Well, it's just because, you know, George just finally kind of, he's like, you know what? If I'm having to get put through this, I'm I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to mess with her and I'm going to have some fun. Exactly. Because he's got to make her see. He's like, he sees who Jules is and knows that she's not going to stop. So he's like, what can I do? First of all, if I betray her outright, that'll be a betrayal. She'll never talk to me again. That's not what friends do. So I got to find a way to force her into being so uncomfortable with this lie that she's come up with that she has to... uh, you know, wheel it back and go somewhere else or whatever. Mm-hmm. I first of all, I don't want to be involved in this lie, yeah. so I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to make you pay for yeah. this for me having a lie because I don't like to 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 do this and everything. And it also forces. I think that that's what that song. Even if that's not what the character's intention was to speak to Michael, I think that in the filmmaker's view or whatever, mm-hmm. that is the Jiminy Cricket character. Julia's conscious, you know, actually telling Michael the truth mm-hmm. without actually telling him the truth. Yeah. Like she doesn't actually say it, doesn't come out of her mouth until the end. But this is her conscious coming through and telling Michael, I love you. Yeah. That's what I saw mm-hmm. it as. So. The moment I wake up, <laughs> oh. before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. <laughs> <laughs> While combing my hair now While wondering what dress to wear now I say a little prayer for you Forever and ever You say in my heart I will love you forever and ever You never will part Oh how I love you together Forever That's how it must be To live without you Would only be a heartbreak for me Um, and then uh, they go through a bunch of other different things. George leaves, and but before he leaves, he says, you know, tell him you love him, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and then come, you know, go to the wedding, stand with him at the wedding, and then come home. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, you're, just tell him that you love him, tell him the truth. And she's like, what will he say? And he's like, or what will he do? And he's like, he's going to pick Kim. 
he's not going to pick you because yeah. he's been with them now just in a few hours. He can see that they love each other yeah, right. and that he's not going to pick him. Right. So well, he everybody could see him. that. He's not going to pick Jules. <laughs> That's what I meant. He's, yeah, he's not going to pick him. So he can see that instantly. And I'm sure everybody else can see that. But we're so absorbed with these three characters yeah. that we're like, well, maybe he'll go back and forth this way. Like, yeah, they could obviously she's in love with him. Obviously, he's got feelings for her. But he's in love with Kim. Yeah. And he's just it's just that she's throwing a wrench in the works and it keeps messing with his head. Right. So um, I guess it's more on him to say, hey. You're being inappropriate. You need to go home. <laughs> you need to go home. You're drunk, Julia Roberts. Go home. Well, especially, you know, I mean, when they get caught up, like, he's so forgiving of her. No matter, you know, I mean, she was Michael, literally trying to ruin, you know, his life. Yeah. He adores her, and I think he does love her. And he'll probably always love her from yeah. whenever they met. But, yeah, I think that he, and they're such good friends, and they've been through so much that he sees that as, okay, not, neither of us have been able to say anything or do anything, but we've both felt this way. Mm-hmm. It's just that now she's put in a position where this is the last chance and yeah. everything. And he's like, if I was in that position, maybe I'd try to do the same thing. Because right. he did feel the jealousy of George. Whenever he met George, he felt jealous. You know, they went on that they went on that boat ride afterwards. And he was talking about how jealous he was. Um, and, you know... When they were in the dark under the bridge, you know, they were talking about different things. Mm-hmm. But then they went into the dark under the bridge, and it was very dark. And they both talked about the moment passing them by. Yeah. And there was that moment that they were just staring at each other, and you're like, if this is, if there was a moment, this is it. Yeah. You and I didn't, I mean, in our relationships with other people, we didn't use the word love a lot, did we? Kimmy says, if you love someone, you say it. You say it right then, out loud. Otherwise, the moment just passes you by. Passes you by. And then they come out into the light, and then they both turn away. And so, like, if if that was a moment, that would have been that would have been their only moment because it's yeah. the only time that they're really alone during yeah. this whole movie. You know, so as soon as they came out of uh, came out into the light, I think that that was showing them out. That moment was over. Yeah, between them two, and he was then fully thinking about Kimmy and what's mm-hmm. coming and all that. Um, and he was ready to marry her, marry her after that and everything. So I I like that. I like that whole thing between them and the 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 visuals between yeah them going in the dark and then them coming back out in the light and everything. <clears throat> And then they dance to their song, which is The Way You Look Tonight. Yeah. Um, and by the end of the movie, she gifts that song to them until mm. they find their own, which was very sweet and everything. It was. But before that, um, they're, uh, she sends that email. She decides to go and send the email. She she gets into her uh, to Michael's future father-in-law's office and sends an email to Michael's boss, not meaning to, but it gets sent out with all the rest. She wanted to write up this email that sound, made it sound like Kim and her dad were pressuring Michael's boss to fire him so that they could give him a very well-paying job that would be better, mm-hmm. even yeah. though he would hate it. Yeah. So her plan wasn't to send it out, but just to bring it up like it was typed out and it was going to be sent, but not to actually send it because she didn't want 
you know, him to be fired and his I mean, life to be around. She should have just deleted it then at that point. Yeah, but she still wanted him to see it, but she didn't want it to go out to the boss and have him lose the job. She wanted it to be just enough of an impact to break up the marriage, but not to ruin Michael's life. Okay. So she left it there, and that was the whole point of going there later that night. Yeah. Was so that she could act like she had something and be like, wait, what is this? Michael, did you read this? And then show him it without actually being sent to his boss, and that, yeah. that, that would be enough. But either way, it actually gets sent, yeah. and she feels awful. And she doesn't just feel awful about the job thing because the boss kind of knew. He's like, hey, I want you to know what kind of family you're marrying into yeah. just to let you know this is what was sent to me. So now it's not really about the email. Now she just feels bad that she did it. And yeah. I want to say, where the hell did Paul Giamatti come from? Oh, I know. I mean, I, I knew Sp- he was... Smokes a cigarette with her. As soon know. as he came up, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember he was in this movie. And, you know, back when I first watched the movie, I probably didn't know who Paul Giamatti was or no. not very well or whatever. But now, you know, ever since I was a kid or whatever, just yeah. watching it now, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's Paul Giamatti. It is Paul Giamatti. <laughs> so I remember him being in there, but who I didn't remember seeing, or maybe I just saw him, you know, of course, didn't know him at the time, is do you remember a person from Prison Break in this movie? No. You remember watching Prison Break, yeah. right? So, do you remember who Paul Kellerman was? So, Kellerman was the Secret Service agent that, one of the Secret Service agents that worked oh, for yeah. the Vice President, and he was trying to cover up everything in the first two, uh, two, two oh, seasons. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And he was even chasing Sarah and them down in the yeah. second season and everything. He got burned on his chest. And by the end, he'd kind of turned and was, like, helping them out, but then yeah. ended up getting shot. And then this is like ruining prison break for anybody who hasn't seen it. But in the very end, he comes back at the very end to help the brothers get like a legitimate deal. And you find out that he's still alive and all that. So he started out as back. Anyways, whenever she goes and finds out the wedding that he's still going to the wedding party, even though he had decided to call the wedding off. I remember she goes by and grabs him and he's sitting at a table. He's part of he's part of like the best man. Yeah. Table and standing up there and everything. His name is Paul Adelstein. I uh, played Paul Kellerman in the in Prison Break, but just thought that was a really cool. Um, so he sees how she's, um, you know, they have this whole confrontation at the end where he's mad that Kim and her dad would send an email like that, right? He's calling, mm-hmm. trying to call off the wedding. Jules tries to go talk to uh, uh, to Kim. And I think that's when we have our best lines in the movie, and that's mm-hmm. where I cracked up the most, where she was t- explaining her the difference between creme brulee and jello. Yeah. And she's like, <laughs> in like, and Cameron Diaz is amazing in this role, and she's just I like, be jello. She goes, You're Michael. You're in a fancy French restaurant. You order creme brulee for dessert. It's beautiful, it's sweet. It's irritatingly perfect. Suddenly, Michael realizes he doesn't want creme brulee. He wants something else. What does he want? Jello. Jello? Why does he want jello? Because he's comfortable with jello. Jello makes him comfortable. I realize compared to creme brulee, it's jello but maybe that's what he needs i could be jello no creme brulee can never be jello you could never be jello you have to 
be jello. You're never gonna be jello. <laughs> the way she says, I have to be jello. And she's like, You're never gonna be jello. <laughs> and then whenever she's she's after she kisses Michael and Kim sees and they all go running. You know, Kim's yeah. running away, Michael's chasing Kimmy, and Jules is chasing Michael. And they, she goes and tries to find a car. She's uh, pulling every hand door. She's like, why does everyone lock their doors? Doesn't anybody trust anybody in this world? Nobody trusts anybody anymore. As she's trying to steal one yeah. of the cars. I thought that was another and great one. trying to break up a marriage. So, yeah, of right. course you're not going to trust her. Goes, Doesn't anybody trust anybody in this world? And, and I'm pretty sure she would have got prosecuted for stealing that bread van. Probably, because then she left it uh, in a non-parking zone outside that train station, too. You know? Yeah, so I kind of feel like... it there. I was like, man, that's going to get towed, and then they're going to get billed, and it's not a good thing. But, it's not. It's not. Um, and then when she's calling George and telling him that, you know, oh, this is all ruined, and she goes, you know... This is what comes of telling the truth, or even part of it. The fact that she actually says getting what you deserve isn't fair, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it explains Jules's character throughout yeah. this this whole thing too. And she's the way a villain, she's a bad, bad, she's person. a bad, bad villain. So, anyways, Jules um, finally catches up with him at the train station. Here's the story about how he asked her to marry it and stuff, and it made her stop because she finally realized she's ruining his life. And she thought she was helping him because he was marrying somebody that he had no reason to be marrying mm-hmm. and that he truly belonged with her and all that. And then she finally realizes, she looks at him and just look at how he chased her and listen to his story about how he asked her to marry her. She's, he's, she's like, what What right do I have? You know, mm-hmm. what, what am I doing? This is I'm ruining his life. He truly is happy with this person. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. But he's truly happy with this person. And maybe he's happy with this person because it's the opposite of me. Mm -hmm. Maybe because of how I've always been and how he's always been, he's seen himself in me and see he wants something different than that. He doesn't want to be so self-absorbed. So he sees something in her. And it's interesting that he chooses somebody that is the complete opposite of Jules to marry and to truly fall in love with because he doesn't want that life anymore. Because he had quite a few opportunities to change his mind throughout this film, you know, quite especially even at, even at the end here. And she gave him a lot of good outs to to, yeah. to get out of it too. But he kept going, "Well, yeah, but how is she feeling? Does she look yeah. okay?" You know, yeah. he was worried. And, about and he's her. like, "I would really give up everything just to marry her." You know, what I exactly. Mean? He if that if it meant if they want me to work for her dad, fine. I'll work for her dad. It's not like I'm going to complain. We'll make good money. I, but you know, I won't really get to do what I want. But he was willing to do it. Yeah, and she. She wanted that for him, and she wanted to stay in school and everything, but she didn't care if he that's what he wanted. And I think by the end, he realized that they needed to do something a little different. They needed to come together a little bit because Kim was yeah. making all the sacrifices. And because I don't know if he could really support both of them on what he was making. Writing. Yeah, because he could always do that, and then he could do the, the sports writing, you know, on the weekends or something. But that's what I'm wanted. saying. Like, like, being a sports writer and traveling the country is – you know, I mean, I understand she loves him and she would travel with him, but I, I don't know if they, they could afford her traveling with him. No, not with a job that he had. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that they get paid. He probably gets his travel comped and everything like that, and uh, I mean, which means yeah. I'm sure that his editor or whatever wouldn't mind him bringing her along. But it's not what she wants to do. You know, she's got her own career. She just yeah. doesn't want to be traveling and everything. So I'm sure that they kind of more come together at the end. But <clears throat> she finally realizes that she's just ruining it and that while Michael cares for her, he 
doesn't love her like he loves Kimmy. When she sees what she's, she's talking about Kimmy and mm-hmm. everything, he doesn't love her like she, like he loves Kimmy. So she yeah. finds her in the bathroom, and then there's a bunch of little bitties <laughs> straight from uh, the the streets of of uh, Mean Girls. No, the streets of Edward Scissorhands, yeah. Uh, suburbia. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So uh, they're all sitting there, and everybody's got to eavesdrop on this. This uh, I think somebody even says, "Can't fight." So, um, <laughs> she, you know, I mean, that's when you see the the vicious Kimmy come out uh-huh. and everything. But then they they make up. The wedding goes on, and you think that he's just going to walk away, and she won't say anything. But then he kind of comes back, and he's like, "Bye." Yeah. And I thought that was real sweet. Yeah. And then this is where she was supposed to meet. Um, what's his face? From North, the DJ from Northern Exposure. The DJ from Northern Exposure is how he'll always be known as. And Serendipity. Um, the weird flute player. Yeah, the weird flute player from Serendipity. Um, so that's where, but nobody liked that. So she answers the phone, and just as she's answering the phone and talking it's to George. him. Yeah, it's George. Yeah. It's George, And then he says, suddenly, a familiar song. It's the moment I wake up. <laughs> and then he finds her and they dance. And, uh, you know, I guess she gets a happy ending. Just, I mean, she's happy, right? Yeah, she didn't want to, like, she liked Michael and she only wanted to break up the marriage. But guaranteed, if she had broken up that marriage and they were together, they'd have broken up in a couple months. Less than probably. Or less than. So she's doing what she needs to be doing. She wants to do her career. That's fine. That's yeah. right. If you don't want to be in a relationship, that's fine. Don't try to break up somebody else's yeah, relationship or whatever. But you evil, evil villain. So I'm going to ask you about this first. I'm going to say, what what was your favorite scene? Uh, when the bookstore, when she calls uh, George in the bookstore. <laughs> that's probably one of my favorites. I mean, mine will probably always be. I'm just going to go with the musical scene because it's just awesome when they sing in the lobster place. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's one of those scenes. Just like the Julie Roberts, you know, I'm just a girl who loves standing in front of a boy, you know, wanting him to love her, you know, from Notting Hill yeah. or, or yeah. you know, any of those scenes where it's like, you know, and sometimes when it's a big number. Yeah, uh, look who's talking when uh, what's his name is dancing with Mikey and his friends and all that kind of stuff. The entire movie of Grease. Yeah, the entire well, any musical really, right? Yeah, pretty much. This is the type of musical I like when it's real. It's not just somebody singing about what's going on in the plot of the movie. I'm just sorry, those twin sisters, you know, are, are very. Uh, they, they should have a career because. They're very in, in tuned with each other. I don't know if they're sisters or cousins or what. They were just but, completely different actresses. One of the actresses. Well, I, I realized that, but I, weren't they supposed to be sisters or they something? They were supposed to be in the in the in the uh, the movie, and they dressed a lot alike. But if you look at their faces, they don't look anything alike. No, no, I knew that, but I mean, it's yeah, like they're know, supposed to be. But yeah, the one they girl were so in tune. Yeah, they really were. And the one girl, she was from Muriel's wedding. She played a role in that. And uh, who's, who's Muriel? The uh, the famous movie Muriel's Wedding yeah. with Tony Collette. That's, yeah. the, that's the movie that the director directed before this um, that got him so much popularity and everything. But he loves music, too. Yeah. And that's why he put this in here. And I'm sure you could, I mean, look at Peter Pan when they're like, I do believe in fairies. Yeah. It was kind of like a whole musical number just to talk, just to bring Tinkerbell back to life. Right. You know, so. <clears throat> um, 
Yeah, so I'd say that 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 scene, and yeah, when she calls George at the bookstore, and you know she's saying all these crazy things, you know, she's like, "It's totally not fair to get what you deserve," and all and he doesn't stuff. care. Like he's just talking on the phone, like you know somebody's going over, they're they're doing a book reading, and he's just talking on the phone. Gets up and just starts talking. Nobody cares about the writer that's up there reading his own book, you know, trying to sell his own. And book. And the guy, I don't know his name, but the guy reading the book, he's actually a voiced. Uh, he plays the voice of uh, the newscaster on Simpsons. Oh, yeah, What's yeah, his yeah. Name? Uh, yeah. No, know, it's not Harry Shriver. That's the voice of uh, Homer. No, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but he was a, he, he's done a couple voices on, uh, and he was in uh, Godzilla, the God, Matthew Godzilla. Broderick. Yeah, the Matthew Broderick one. Godzilla. He played the, the blonde girl who's Matthew Broderick's girlfriend. He played her. He played a girl? He played the news reporter above her. Uh, who she took the story from or whatever. But anyways, yeah. yeah. And also another Simpsons alumna in there with uh, Hank Azaria. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, anyway, so I, I yeah, those are the favorite scenes. I guess I'll ask you, do you like this movie? Uh, apparently it's changed for you over the years. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of... I, I just didn't like Julia Roberts as a, as a villain. Just, it's very hard. You know, she is America's sweetheart, right? You know? I mean, I, didn't she even play in that movie? <laughs> uh, America's Sweethearts? Uh, with, yes, she did. She was John Catherine, Cusack, right? Catherine Zeta-Jones' sister. She wasn't actually the sweetheart. Yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones was the sweetheart. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like she is the sweetheart of Hollywood during the 80s and 90s, I feel like. I mean, she was definitely like the rom-com yeah. queen. Which is funny because she never gets really brought up in that category when people talk about it. You know, for Because the last her rom-coms years, aren't traditional sappy rom-coms. She was in the smart ones. You know, yeah. she was in all the smart ones that she didn't really like, lose. Yeah, like this one didn't have a traditional ending. You know, yeah. she was a villain. I mean, really, the the rom com story should have been between Michael and Kim. Yeah. And so, you know, it she she always seems to have like. But then it would have turned into like twist. fever pitch, I think. Yeah. You maybe. know, with Drew and uh, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Um. All right. Let's play this game real quick. All right. All right. So it's gonna be a tough one. Rupert Everett is our starting point because he was the standout of this movie we both agree okay all right so all right we're gonna shuffle do you know who either of those two are i don't know them all right we know who that is so we have to go from rupert everett to tom hardy Ready, go. came up with I don't know why I didn't get to it quicker but I got three so Julia Roberts was in uh, okay Julia Roberts was in my best friend's wedding with Rupert Everett 
Okay, we're going from Rupert to yeah. Rupert Everett to Tom Hardy. So Rupert Everett was in My Best Friend's Wedding with Tom, with Julia Roberts, which is one. Julia Roberts was in I Love Trouble with Nick Nolte, which is two. And then Nick Nolte was in Warrior with Tom Hardy, which is three. He played Tom Hardy's dad in Warrior. Uh, anyways, that was a really good one. It was about uh, these two dudes living different lives, and uh, you see, you find out that they're brothers, and they're both fighters and everything, and they're one of them's trained by their dad, and somebody else is trained by somebody else, but he was an abusive dad, but now he's better. You know, he, he, uh, he became sober and found God and everything, but neither of them really want to hear it anymore because he was such a terrible father. Yeah. It's such a good movie, and I really want to talk about it sometime. we got to talk about it on right. here and everything, but uh, that's what I got. So, uh, yeah, real quick episode today. Uh, we wanted to get through this. Uh, we weren't as passionate about, about it as we used to be, so we kind of just went through it real quick. But that's okay because we're about to really dig into some good stuff in this next month. We are doing the, Adam, the month of Adam Sandler, um, just like we did last year. Last year we covered Happy Gilmore. We covered um, Mr. Deeds, which was a secret episode because it's titled as um, Punch Drunk Love. Mm -hmm. So go listen to that if you want to hear Mr. Deeds. Yeah. Um, we also did um, 50 First Dates. And what else did we do? Oh, Big Daddy. Mm -hmm. And did we do any others? Maybe it was just those four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got the water boy, we got Billy Madison. We might do because mm -hmm. we never did that. We got the water boy, we got click and we got a few others yeah. that we can do. So, uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to do, uh, Adam Sandler all next month. And then we got some real cool stuff coming after that, um, with maybe a couple really cool guests. Mm hmm. So stick around for that. Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at The Post Credit Podcast. Except for Twitter, we're at The Post Credit. Our email address is thepostcreditpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website. It's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a bone.